We're starting a new series tonight. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting that I, I had I'd thought about what I was going to do now, and then I, I just shot a, a message to the elders and see if they had the suggestions. And, and the, at least one of them suggested the exact thing that I had this, you know, chosen to, to start a series on with different words, but it's about the same, same thing. We're going to start a series tonight on discernment, a biblical, spiritual discernment. I'll, I'll just provide a little bit, a, just a, a working definition. And two weeks from tonight, on the third lesson, Lord willing, we're going to have a more extended definition of what spiritual discernment is. But that's the goal for the next few weeks for us to be talking about spiritual discernment. And I want to start tonight by turning to 1 King chapter 3. <clears throat> First King chapter three. Going to read verses six through nine of First King chapter three. <clears throat> so here is the word of our Lord, First Kings three verse six. And Solomon said. You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? I can't even imagine what was going through Solomon's mind when David picked him to be the heir. He was not the likely heir. There's older kids and so on. But David picked him to be the heir uh, of the throne of Israel. Israel was uh, God's chosen people. And David was a man that God's called the man after my own heart. See that in Acts chapter 13. And here Solomon is supposed to now be the next guy. You know, when you talk about pastors, you never want to be the next guy to a great pastor. (laughs) It usually means that you're going to have a very short pastorate at a particular church. And yet here Solomon is the next guy to be the king of Israel. And we see in our passage tonight that Solomon approached the office of king and approached God himself with great humility as he prays to God here in chapter 3. Uh, though he was already a grown man, he prays to God saying that he's, a, he's like a child. He, he is, he's not experienced in, in ruling. He's not experienced in judging the people. And that he needs the Lord's blessings and wisdom and discernment to be able to fulfill his office. You know, he, he demonstrates really here in, the, in this prayer that he's dependent upon his father, not David, but God, his heavenly father, for wisdom, for directing God's people. Here in 1 Kings 3, we find Solomon in Gibeon, which is interesting because it's also where Saul said, that's Saul's neighborhood. And he's in Gibeon, and God is going to affirm him as king of Israel in the neighborhood of Saul. So it establishes that's not Saul's line, that's the, the 
divine, the, 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 the royal line. It is David's line. But he's in Gibeon to offer sacrifice to the Lord. And God in verse 5 appeared to him and asked him, ask what I shall give you. God so comes to him in the dream says, what, what do you want? What should I give to you? And we are commonly, we are commonly taught that Abraham, uh, Solomon asked for wisdom and then instantaneously got him, God gave him all kinds of great wisdom and uh, he became this just great wise king. But if you pay attention to the words that Solomon prays to God, he doesn't ask necessarily God for wisdom. He, pray, he asks God for something else. He understands that he's inadequate for the role. He understands that he needs God's help, and he asks God for discernment. And as we're going to see, that it, it, wisdom is part of discernment, but discernment is a greater thing than wisdom. We find that specifically in verse 9, where he asks the Lord for Discernment, and then in verses 11 to 12, God answers his prayer, his request, and gives him great discernment. If you look uh, there in verse 9, Solomon prays, Give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. It's interesting that in our translation it says understanding heart, but the word understanding is hearing. Uh, Solomon is asking for a hearing heart. A heart that's attuned with God, a heart that hears from God so that he can discern between good and evil. And that tells us where we want to go, that we want to be people who have a discerning heart that's able to hear from the Lord and discern between good and evil. And we see here that God honored Solomon's request because he was pleased with what Solomon had asked. See that in verses 11 and 12. And this teaches us that God values discernment. And honors those who seek after it. So in this lesson tonight, we'll see the importance that the Bible places on discernment by looking at both the curses that accompany a lack of discernment and the blessings that come along when we are a discerning people. But before we do that, let me give you a working definition of discernment. It's going to be so very broad for tonight, Okay. So we're going to right now just be thinking about discernment as this. Spiritual discernment is the skill of thinking biblically about life. That's amazingly broad, right? Spiritual discernment is the skill of thinking biblically about life. In essence, it's having a Christian worldview through which you see all of life. As Steve was still here, he said that we're supposed to have a Christian Cosmovision, a word that he invented, but it's actually worldview that we are to have, uh, and discernment does that. It enables us to differentiate between good and evil, to think biblically about life. All right. Any questions so far? Yes. Um, it's a very interesting passage, and I wonder uh, at all if you thought about the fact that he doesn't repeat the listening part. Yeah, he doesn't repeat it, but he he's saying I'm giving when when God says I'm giving you what you asked. Yeah. So and then he tweaks the words just a little bit. So I wonder. Yeah, I don't think it's it's in, that important because he says I'm giving you what you asked. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. So God answered his prayer there. All right. So what I want to do spend part of our time looking at the curses, the bad side, the bad things 
about not having discernment. Then I want to talk about the good things about pursuing discernment. So this is a call to discernment. I wanted to just get you excited about the idea of next week pursuing discernment. That's the lesson for next week. But I want to show the danger of not being discerning and then the blessing of being discerning tonight. So three on one side, three on the other, except six things total by the time we're done here tonight. All right? So lack of discernment must point to one of three obvious conclusions. If, you don't, if you're not a discerning person, if there's no discernment in your life, there's three conclusions that follow from that, that logically follow from that. First one is this. Lack of discernment is proof of spiritual immaturity. Lack of discernment is proof of spiritual immaturity. Turn to, we're not going to come back to the First Kings 3 tonight. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. And see what the author of Hebrews says in verses 11 through uh, the end of that chapter, 11 through 14. So lack of discernment is proof of spiritual immaturity. Listen to what the Holy Spirit says. In verse 11, Of whom, referring back to Melchizedek, we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So here the author of Hebrews tells us that lack of discernment is proof of spiritual immaturity. He has much he would want, he has much that he wanted to tell them, but he can't. There is there's much knowledge he would like to impart to them, so many important things they need to learn, but unfortunately, what he wishes to communicate is hard to explain, he says in verse 11, but not because it's obscure or difficult to understand, but because the people have become dull of hearing. Notice that he can't explain to them, not because... It's complicated, but because the people, the audience, has become dull of hearing. It's not that they are stupid. It's not that they are intellectually inferior. It's not that they are unable to grasp such truths. The reason he cannot teach them these important truths is not because of what these people are by nature, but what they have become. They have become dull of hearing. And you can compare that with the prayer of Solomon. He prayed for a hearing heart. These people have become dull of hearing. They are not hearing the Word of God well anymore. There is much that the author would like to say, but he cannot and will not because of the spiritual maturity of these people to whom he is writing. They lack understanding. They lack discernment, so they can't, he can't continue with them. It's important to notice that these people here that uh, the author is writing to originally were not uh, recent converts. As you read the letter, you have the impression that this church has been around for a little while. This is a second-generation Christian church. And they should be to the point where they should be able to teach others, and yet they can't because they've become undiscerning. They've become dull of hearing, not be able to discern 
evil from good. Now, it's not that the author wants them all to be pastors or ministers, but they, that they should be sufficiently mature so that they are able to understand and to teach others the basics of the faith. They don't have a childlike faith. They have a childish faith, which is different. Christ wants us to have a childlike faith that we are to accept what God says like a child would, but not a childish faith, a faith that doesn't grow. It's different. Those two things are different. We do live in a society that uh, poo-poos theology. That's the proper term. Puts down the idea of actually learning theology. Why, what does it matter that God is trinity? What does it matter how justification happens? Aren't we just supposed to love each other and get along? The Bible says no. We can't be indifferent. We cannot be childish. As Richard Phillips defines that as one that is indifferent to or ignorant of the word of God. That's what these people have become. They weren't that, and they became that. And they lack discernment. We live in an age where too many who profess to be Christians rarely consider their spiritual maturity. We live in an age where many consider spiritual immaturity a mark of authenticity. And when people associate doubt with humility and assurance with pride, somehow is considered a great thing to be ignorant. Oh, I, I, I'm just, I just read my Bible. I don't know theology. So what, I, what is it you're reading in your Bible if it's not theology? And we're lo- losing discernment. I think it's in Bleak House. Uh, Dickens has this character that keeps on repeating that uh, I'm, I'm just a child. I'm just a child. He's like a 40 or 50-year-old man. I'm just a child. And ready to grab him by the scuff of his neck. And you're not a child. Uh, grow up. And we're not to be children either. Because lack, lack of discernment is not a good thing. It's, it's a, a sign that we are immature in our faith. faith. As you see here, this letter draws a clear con- line connecting a lack of discernment with spiritual maturity, so that those who lack discernment are those who are spiritually immature. And the scriptures make it plain. If you're not a person who exhibits and exercises discernment, you're not a mature Christian. You're an immature Christian. And that's not a good thing. So that's the first thing that's important. Lack of discernment is proof of an immature faith. Okay. Secondly, Lack of discernment is proof of backsliding. See, we're kind of falling on immaturity. will lead to backsliding. If we don't grow forward, we're going to, grow, we're going to go backwards. That's the idea. Look at verses 12 and 13. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God... And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So he says, you should be going this way, but because you become dull of hearing, you're going backwards. Isn't that what backsliding is? You're going backwards in your faith. Backslide is to ha- backsliding is to have your faith diminish rather than increase. While the, the, the people that uh, the Holy Spirit wrote this letter to should have been growing their faith, progressing from milk to solid food, they were instead moving backwards from steak to milk, from solid food 
to milk. Think of, of the imagery, right? It's, it's the image of a baby, of a child growing up and being weaned. Remember that back in the first century, there was not, no such thing as drinking milk of another animal. It was if, once you're done drinking your mother's milk, you're done you know, drinking milk as your, as your sole source of, of uh, um, n- nourishment. And that happened pretty quickly. Compared to the whole of life, the milk phase of life was pretty short. Does it make sense to you? Are, are you with me on that? And that's the imagery that the author is giving here to us. A person should pass quickly from spiritual milk to solid foods, from the basics to what is more advanced. A person should hunger to quickly learn and understand what is elementary and should so long, soon long for what is more advanced. That's the natural progression of a Christian. We can't be stagnant because if you stagnate, we're going to move backwards. We always have to be moving forwards. What happens to a shark if it stops swimming? It dies. Why? It was that? It can't breathe, exactly. It, it, it doesn't have a way to... It has to be moving for water to go through its gills and filter oxygen out of it. If it stops swimming, it dies. That's a good imagery of a Christian. If we stop moving forward, if we stop growing in the Lord, if we stop going from milk to solid foods, we're going to eventually peter out and, and die. So, so a person should hunger to quickly learn and understand what is elementary so that they can move on to more advanced things. And this is a sign of maturity. Growth is a sign of maturity and the mark of one who has been truly saved. On the other hand, a person who regresses from solid food to milk is a person who is desperately unhealthy. No one says, well, I was going to say that. Some people, anyway, I won't make any comment, but... Generally speaking, when you have to go on a non-solid diet, it means there's something wrong physically with you. Like health-wise, there is an issue there. And that's the picture here as well. The, a person who regresses from solid food to milk is a person who is desperately unhealthy and who will soon wither away and perish. And the, the writer the human writer and the Holy Spirit doesn't want that to happen to these people here, and they don't want that to happen to us here either. So lack of discernment is proof of backsliding. If you're not growing, you're going backwards. So lack of discernment is a proof of immature faith, and as it moves down the line, it becomes proof of backsliding. And then thirdly, lack of discernment is proof of spiritual death. Lack of discernment will eventually lead to spiritual death. Those that have professed faith in Christ cannot backslide indefinitely. Sooner or later it will become clear that they are not believers at all and surely never were believers. And the scriptures tells us what happens to those who harden their hearts against God, rejecting his good gifts. Look at Romans chapter 1 for a second. Romans chapter 1, starting verse 18. This is a natural progression of somebody without Christ. Okay? 
It says this in verse 18, 118. Oh, sorry, 128. Reading to 32. So talk about humanity without Christ. And, and if you fall away from Christ, this is, this is us, that's you as well. And Paul says in verse 28, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judge, judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. These verses should scare us. These verses ought to strike terror in the heart of all who forsake God and ought to cause us to pause and acknowledge the depth of the evil that inhabits the hearts of men. Every person is capable of these things. This is the heart apart from the grace of God. Every one of us in this room are capable of these things listed here. I said that once and somebody protested. Said, I could never mass murder. Okay? Have you ever been angry at more than one person at a time? Well, what, what is anger in your heart? Murder. What's mass murder? Three or more murders. Have you ever been angry at three people? There we go. Serial killer. Right there. We are, the seeds of all these are in our hearts apart from Christ. And as we, as we go from immature to backslidden to just abandoning the faith, these things become even more part of us. As men turn from God, He gives them up. God gives them up to do those things their, their hearts filled with evil cry out to do. Envy, murder, hatred, gossip, boasting, and all manners of evil. And in the midst of that, in verse 31, what is it? God gives people up to, right there in verse 31, an undiscerning mind. Undiscernment is right there in the middle of all these other sins that we consider the big ones. And yet, said, whoa, undiscerning, being undiscerning, that's not that bad. Why is it involved? Well, because it is that bad. It is that bad. If you just look around its neighbors here in, in Romans 1, you can see that not being discerning, it is a very, very bad thing. Lack of discernment is to, to lack discernment is to sin against God. You say that? To lack discernment is to sin against God. It's not just something that we should be better of, about. No, it's to sin against God. So you can see there's three strong consequences from lack of discernment. Lack of discernment points to an immature faith, eventually points to a backsliding faith, and eventually points to no faith at all. That's why it's so important that we are, that we be discerning people. Any questions on that? Yes, sir. No. <laughs> okay, so that was the bad stuff. Right? I hope that we can be scared into being discerned, but the fear is not the best motivator. What are the blessings of being discerned? The Bible declares that there are many benefits stored up for those who desire and seek discernment. 
First is spiritual life. Discernment is a proof of spiritual life. And all those who are saved must begin to progress in their ability to discern. If you are believing in Jesus Christ, you, you must be growing in your ability to discern. That is to live life, be able to tell between good and evil, thinking critically, biblically, and distinguish between good and evil. In, in Proverbs 9.10, Solomon says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So Solomon tells us here that to know God is to possess discernment, and that knowledge of God is the very starting point for discernment. And if you, you know God as a believer, so you're there. You have the foundational piece for being discerning. Those who fear the Lord, those who know God, must be discerning because God himself is the very source of discernment. And if we're united to God, then that has to flow through us as well. Not only that, God is our motive for discernment. We want to be discerning because we, that glorifies God. So we want to be, for spiritual life, that's going to show there. And where there's discernment, there is life, spiritual life. So discernment is proof of spiritual life, but discernment is also proof of spiritual growth. Well, a good way to measure if you're growing in Christ is to see if you're growing in your discernment, your biblical discernment, your ability to look at, at life through the lens of the Scripture. Remember our broad definition of discernment for tonight. Spiritual discernment is the skill of thinking biblically about life. If you're a true believer, you're growing that. You're becoming better at doing that. Jesus continually emphasized discernment during his ministry, sometimes scolding those who did not have it and sometimes commending those who didn't. And sometimes they were the same group of people. Remember right after he fed the 5,000, they were on the boat going across the lake. They found themselves in the boat going across the lake quite a few times during the life of Jesus. And the disciples are, 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 are worried about what? Remember what they're worried about? Nope, that's another time. But they were across the lake too at that time. You're good, good. But they're worried about something else. They, Jesus just fed the 5,000, and they're worried that's not going to be bread for them to eat on the trip. Jesus just fed 5,000 people, 5,000 men plus women and children, so maybe upwards of 10,000 people, and now the 12 disciples are worried that that's not going to be bread for them. We can read that in Mark chapter 8. And Jesus scolds them. Can't you discern here, people? Can you see? I, I just fed... Thousands of people. Do you think I'm going to let you starve? Can't you discern the situation? So he scolded them. Later on, in Matthew 13, he actually um, praises the disciples for being discerning. The disciples ask, why is it that we can understand your parables and the general public can't? And Jesus says, because you are discerning. You're spiritually discerning. So Jesus valued the discernment in the life of his people. So, Discernment is proof of spiritual growth. Thirdly and lastly, discernment is proof of spiritual maturity. Back to Hebrews 14, uh, 5, Hebrews 5, 14. The Holy Spirit says this, Hebrews 5, 14, But solid foods belong to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So discernment is proof of spiritual maturity. If you're a discerning person, you're a mature person in the Lord. And that's something that we are to pursue. Christians 
who are mature are those who have ex exercised discernment and have learned how to distinguish good and evil, good from evil. And that's what we are to grow in, in life. If we're going to think biblically about life, we need to be able to distinguish between good and evil. There are no Christians who are mature but undiscerning. Those two things don't happen at the same time. The Bible makes it clear. God expects and demands that we pursue and exhibit spiritual discernment. Healthy Christians, those who are alive, growing, and mature, are necessarily those who seek to honor God by discerning between what is good and what is evil. So discernment is a necessary quality that we must grow in as believers in Jesus Christ. And that's why I thought it would be important for us to, for the next few weeks, be talking about what it means to be spiritually discerning in, the, in our church, that we might look at life critically through the glasses of the Scriptures and distinguish between good and evil. Remember, that was the promise that Satan gave to Adam and Eve. Oh, if you eat of this fruit, you're going to be like God's, knowing what good and evil is. It was a false promise. But God gives us a true promise, that if we grow in Him, we will truly be able to distinguish between good and evil and live according to what is Good. Any questions or comments before we close? Yes, Jerry. Is discernment come with the process of sanctification, or are they kind of tied together? As yes, okay. and discernment, the growth in discernment, as we're going to see in future lessons, is tied to the scriptures. So you learning the scriptures with more age is that the idea? Sure, but it's not necessarily. Connected. The, the, you, 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 well, if you're six, you're wiser than the thirty. Depends on how how much you work at it, how much you study the scriptures, how much you're, you're able to meditate in the scriptures. Because discernment is actually making this the filter through which you look at everything, right? So you can have a forty-year-old that can, that can do that better than a sixty-year-old. So biological age is not a sole determinant. Does that make sense? I'm saying there. Okay, Katie. Uh, I just have thoughts about this, so I'm not sure if this is much as a question as a comment, but... That's, but isn't it at the end? Like, we... Like, you see, like, just in the world, um, people saying the good is evil, and evil is good, mm -hmm. and that would obviously be a lack of discernment. Correct. Uh, but then, I know people who aren't believers that seem to, like, exhibit some discernment, mm -hmm. So, is there like a, another definition aside from like seeing the world through like a biblical lens no. that would apply to non-believers? No, I think it, 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 there is a, a doctrinal category called common grace. The scriptures talk about rain falling on the righteous and the unrighteous, that the blessings of God falling on the righteous and the unrighteous. So, God, in His good, in His mercy, even to His church, He allows even unbelievers, to perceive things that are true. Right? For, it's a much better word for us if the unbelievers are discerning as Christians, right? So God in His goodness allows for that as well. And there's some historical um, credit from, a, from a, being a country that historically was influenced by a, a Christian ethic as well. There's still a little bit of leftover of that still there, but it's all, if you, if you return to the Bible, but remember also that God has general revelation, so even the unbeliever understands that there is a God. And, and, and Romans 1 says that he clearly reveals himself out there. So the, even that 
allows some discernment of an unbeliever, right? And then there's the old expression, right? It doesn't work anymore because almost nobody uses analog clocks. But the expression that even a, blo- a broken clock is right twice a day, that, that also happens with some believers. Any, any other comments or questions before we close? So it's for the next several weeks, we're going to be considering, considering discernment. So we'll be laying out a, found, a worldview foundation and then how to look at the world through that foundation that's grounded in the scriptures. Yes, Adam? The United Church, for example. The, of Canada? The, yeah. The, Is that your meaning, right? No. I no? Meant, like the one that has the Oh, okay. Capital. Uh, embrace homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Is that fundamentally a lack of discernment? I can think of other things, ways to describe them. Yes. Yes. If we understand discernment, because I think we have a tendency to understand discernment as if you're not discerning, you're just ignorant, right? The Bible says if you're not discerning, you're willfully sinning against God, right? So if, uh, the opposite of discerning is not ignorant. The opposite of discerning is rebellion in the Bible. So they are in rebellion. So yes, they lack discernment, which means they are rebellious against God. God gave them over to the desires of their own mind. But I did think you're talking about the United Churches of Canada. <laughs> but he's talking about the one by Capitol on the corner right there by the by Mike's work. Amy. So was that like following up with that? So churches that historically would have been exercising discernment but that are now so that would be an example of people who had discernment but have regressed. Correct. Historically. Right? Not necessarily individual. Yeah, think of the Hebrews 5 passage. They, the people there were not, they were, they were here in maturity in knowledge of scriptures, and then they regressed. They became dull of hearing. The first thing that the churches that are considered the main line today, they're liberal, that they decided that they didn't need was the word of God. Right? They became dull of hearing for the word of God. And they they or they were satisfied with this fluff from the pulpit, and we see the, the that trajectory that I outlined as a curse of lack of discernment happening in a corporate level with them. Can that happen at an individual level? Yes. Okay. Where someone was Yes. And it's interesting that if you keep on reading, Hebrews six addresses that person. So, no, they profess faith, they experience life in the church, they experience the, uh, the exterior grace of God is be part of a church, and yet they fell away. No, I think they identified with the same... The, the author is pointing, if you continue on this trajectory, that's where you're going to end up. Any other... Yes, Katie. Um, kind of along the same lines. Is it an all or nothing? Like, I'm thinking about people I know that might... It feels like they lack discernment in one area, but then they have... Like a biblical worldview in another, and I get and they're a little bit of an enigma to me. Like it's hard for me to wrap my head around yeah. like how you could be, how you could be so. I don't know. I don't know. No, it's not. It's not all or nothing. Okay. It's. Um, um, I think if you look at a continuum, continuum is not a good example. It has to be scenes with many fingers coming up or whatever. Um, Maybe I used to go to the circus twice a, a, a year. You know, the circus would come to town twice a year, and it would go. And in every circus that would come to town, we'd have the guy with the, the sticks, the dowels, and they would spit, spin plates. 
and you spin a plate, spin a second, spin a third, and then by the fourth you have to come out and spin the first one. And I think that's how discernment is. You have all these spinning plates. Some are spinning faster, some are spinning slower, some are falling, some are having to recalibrate. So the different areas of discernment, that we might be growing in one area by lacking the other. The difference is that if you're truly indwelled by the Spirit, when you, when you are shown from the Scriptures an area that you're lacking discernment, you submit to it and grow in that area. It's like the spinning of that plate. As opposed to if you're not really indwelled by the Spirit, if you're not truly a Christian, doesn't matter how much I show you from the Scriptures, you're not going to submit yourself to that. Does it make sense? So not an all-or-nothing thing. There's a bunch of things happening at the same time, different levels of discernment, different areas of life. But when you're shown from the Scriptures an area that you're lacking discernment in, then you submit to it and grow in that area. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it takes a lot of beating. <laughs> but life's beating on a person for, for that. I mean, I'm guilty of that too. But like I just, I wonder, like we, we experience people in different points in their lives. Right. Yes. And that's why we need a body. Right? Ephesians 4 says that, that we need each other so that we all can achieve the fullness of Christ. Right? Because you can have Rebecca's plates spinning at certain speeds and you can have Dina's plates uh, spin at certain speed and Rebecca needs to go over there and spin some of Dina's plates and she, Dina comes up here and that's why we need the body to be helping everybody together corporately grow in discernment right you're going to have people that are better at counseling you're going to have people that are better at administrating things you're going to have people that are better at serving with their hands those are giftings but discernment is given to everybody okay anything else all right, so let's close in prayer because it's 8.06. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We thank you that we can grow through it. We pray that as we consider this sermon through these next few weeks, that we will grow in it, that we will become more discerning, that we will know to look at life biblically and know, differentiate between what's good and what's evil. We pray you dismiss us with your blessings tonight for asking in Jesus' name. Amen.